Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to Series 4, Episode 1 of From Page to Practice. I had to pinch myself there and check I wasn't dreaming as I could never have imagined that the little project that I set up at the end of summer 2019 would still be going over 50 episodes and nearly 55,000 downloads later. Today is a celebration of edgy podcasting in a way, an episode about a book, about a podcast which often discussed edgy books. There couldn't be a more appropriate choice to kick off Series 4, so to let us know about his book, here's Phil Naylor. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Thank you so much, Bex, for the invite to From Page to Practice. I'm just going to give you a brief introduction to the rationale for the book Nailers Natter. So 3rd of January 2019, Nailers Natter launches to rapturous reception from thousands of expectant teachers just waiting for a weekly dose of educational expertise dropping into their podcast provider of choice. Well, uh, not quite. So at the time of Nailers Natter's inception, I was the self-titled assistant director of Blackboard Research School, part of the Research School's network, a collaboration between the IEE and the EEF. Uh, just note for the listener, I'd seen the, di- the title director uh, on future guest Alex Quigley's door at Huntington School, and I thought I'm going to nick that from my, uh, from my loft to the given, self-given title. So future guest Stephen Tierney, Simon Cox and I were looking at ways to promote our upcoming research at Blackpool Conference, and the prevailing wisdom amongst us at the time was to explore Stephen's book of Twitter contacts and persuade them to appear by offering them a night out in Blackpool. Who could resist? This approach had begun to work. We had a stellar list of speakers and a venue that could hold 600 guests. As the weeks rolled by, the tickets sold gradually, but we were struggling to get the required interest in the conference to justify our venue choice. We looked at paid marketing, we looked at promoted tweets, sponsored Facebook posts and all manner of networking, but nothing really captured the zeitgeist. At one of our regular meetings with Stephen, I tentatively floated the idea of a Blackpool Research School podcast. It was far from a new idea even at that time, and one that I had clearly plagiarised from the guru of podcasting, namely Mr Craig Barton. The idea met with a positive response from both Stephen and Simon, but with one small sticking point. Probably best not to call it the Blackpool Research School Project or podcast because we don't want to damage the brand if it isn't very good. A very sage point at the time, as the research movement was in its infancy and the research school had to ensure that they were on message. Uh, As someone without a brand to tarnish then, and possibly even now, I happily volunteered to put my name to the podcast and take any brickbats that may come my way. So notice, uh, listener, that it's Nailers Natter, and it's a singular. Uh, Everybody always pronounces it wrong, by the way. It's Nailers Natters or Nailer Natters or any variation, but the actual title is Nailers Natter, singular, meaning that I only ever expected there to be one episode. So looking back from the vantage point of a pandemic scar 2022, it's easy to forget that buried deep inside computers in 2019, we had all the technology required to easily record, edit and distribute a podcast. But either I didn't know or didn't look because the earliest episode features Simon Cox and myself 
recorded live into an iPad and then emailed straight across to Anchor. As you'd expect, the episode sunk without much of a trace, despite Simon's excellent interview. And in fairness, it has gained some listeners uh, of late. It went largely unnoticed, so at least that provided us with some breathing space to start to try and hone the craft of interviewing, source guests, and invest in some sound effects and jingles. Haha, the jingle, which is now retired, of course, listener, but you're still singing it, aren't you? I'd love to claim credit for its earworm status, and of course, I do retain writing credits for the lyrics, at least. This came about through a friend of the show, Benjamin D. Barker, who was already an established host, recommending a website called Fiverr, which allowed creators to advertise their craft to budding entrepreneurs. I figured to sound more professional, Neil, as Natter would need some voiceovers and jingles. I invested in numerous versions, some of which you can still hear in early episodes. Uh, One really stood out. This jingle that has adorned most of our output since then was recorded by an established American country artist who, like me, was just dipping his toe into a new technology. This was without doubt the best £17 I've ever spent. He must be aware of the podcast's prominence and popularity, as I did ask him for an updated version in the last couple of months of the podcast, but let's just say the price had increased exponentially. So with the jingle in place, we then needed to up our game with guests, and a notable early guest was Professor Daniel Mers, who at the time was Ofsted's head of research. The excitement in the research school room covered when he was confirmed was palpable. Whilst our marketing had progressed, our sound had not. For any reader expecting George Martin sitting behind a mixing desk while Simon and I stroked our beards, chewing the research fat with Ofsted's head honcho, think again. The episode was Simon and me hastily arranged Do Not Disturb sticky note on the research school cupboard door and on the phone to Daniel with a voice recorder from an iPad trying to pick up the sound. We got away with that one uh, in a small room. It did something to enhance the audio. I was not so lucky when I lured one of education titans, Professor Michael Young, onto the show. So Michael was a delight to host and I remain a huge admirer of his work, but the audio was so bad as it's almost unplayable. Those episodes increased our listener base significantly, our ticket sales modestly, and our negative reviews judiciously. I am a firm believer in the positive power of social media. And the support received for this book has kept me going through the 18-month gestation. In the early days of the podcast, we had some great support, um, obviously from Bex and others. So hugely appreciate that. So uh, in the early months of 2019, I started to look a little bit more widely about how I could improve the sound of the podcast. So I invested in um, GarageBand, Audacity, and other providers to try and make things sound a little better. We also started to settle on a formula which has seen many iterations, but some of the core concepts have retained and remained the same. I personally enjoy many different kinds of interviews, whether this be education, politics, history or sport. Um, But where I do take issue and what kind of interviews I don't like is when the interview becomes more about the interviewer than the interviewee. So I was discussing my interviewing style in the early days. I rather impertinently compared myself in style, not quality or indeed popularity, to the great Michael Parkinson. I would like to ask prepared questions and allow the guest to feel comfortable. I would read everything I reasonably could about the work to be informed and I would never or rarely interrupt. I would, of course, allow some natural follow-up, but never at the expense of the guest contributions. And I think at the time, and even now, this marks Neil as Natter out as slightly different from other podcasts and the reason that we have continued to be listened to, even after my retirement. The formula became about continuing professional development for me as the host and hopefully for the listener. I was gaining professionally by having one-to-one access to these experts, then surely the listener, yourself, would be benefiting from their wisdom. 
My vision became and remained that if one person benefits from the conversation, then it's worth doing. I've often been reminded of the power of this when I return from work exhausted and caught up in the thick of thin things. I have a podcast scheduled at 7 p.m., meaning quite often I have literally 23 minutes to get ready. As I slump into my recording chair, I slump enough energy to get started. But when the podcast starts, the knowledge of the guests and their enthusiasm for their subject or book infused with a new energy, I imagine listeners having the same feeling. I hope they bound into school the following day imbued with new ideas they can share. The podcast succeeded in attracting our guests with some notable education uh, figures gracing early episodes. So I tended to find that once you interviewed person X, it makes it much easier to interview person Y. And this culminated for me with the episode where I interviewed E.D. Hirsch. Having seen at first hand the influence of Don's work through involvement in the research and evidence movement, I literally had to pinch myself when he agreed to his PA to appear. My preparation, always thorough, hit new levels of anticipation of a conference with the great man. The day itself was everything I expected and more. I can still recall the Skype dialing tone fading as the camera switched on to Hirsch resplendent in a leather armchair in a palatial office in America. The titan of knowledge must have wondered what he had signed up to as he gazed upon a young Ken Bruce, sat at the computer desk amongst Minnie Mouse, Teddy's and Charles II's bedroom. These conversations hopefully serve to inform and inspire the reader that anyone can be involved in podcasting and further increase their own professional development and professional growth on the way. So collaborations have been a huge part of Naylor's Natter over the years, and the first uh, and great supporter of the podcast was the Teacher Development Trust. And I must, again, thank David West and his team, not only for buying me the microphone that we first used to improve the sound quality, but also for providing us with segments and guests throughout. Features have been, well, a feature of Naylor's Natter since the beginning, and something that have uh, channeled my restless energy with varying degrees of success. So as lockdown hit in nearly 2020, I started a book and film review section. Um, I'm a big fan of Kermode and Mayo in their previous iterations on BBC Radio 5, Radio 1, and now uh, on Kermode and Mayo's Take. So I try to do some, some lockdown film reviews, but with, let's just say, uh, modest success. The vinyl suite was a little bit more popular. Uh, the concept came from the office that Andrew Perman, High Noon, who featured on the last ever episode of Neil's Natter, and I shared at the office uh, at school at the time. So being two gentlemen of a certain age, um, we are quite we are vinyl snobs uh, and music snobs, and we decided that a record player was a perfect addition to our office. The thinking was to ease our path through the pastoral trials and tribulations of a Blackpool day and help to educate the young people and the teachers about the importance of music. So the feature is roundabout well, similar to Desert Island Discs, but I think it gives you a really interesting insight into the person you're interviewing. So some of the episodes around, particularly Doug Lamar's Teach Like a Champion, gave us his playlist to what he was listening to when he wrote that book. And I found that hugely useful. Um, and, you know, I, I've kind of employed some of those when I was writing Naylor's Net of the book. So having begun to diversify the range of guests and of people presenting the show, and I must thank all of our guest presenters. I ended up on Teacher Hug Radio, which really honed and improved my interviews and also put me in touch with some great educators. So thank you for Paul to Paul Dix for that as well. So in terms of the book itself, what I've tried to do with the book is try to pull together everything that has been thought and said on the podcast. Now, I'm not comparing myself to Matthew Arnold in any way, shape or form, but Having spoken to such educated, informed, respected people, it was a, a joy to go back through the podcast and try and pull together themes and strands 
and ideas from all those conversations and arrange those into different chapters. So for each topic, I've distilled hours of relevant conversations into hopefully what is a set of clear, practical recommendations, translating the collective wisdom of podcast guests into actionable advice for teachers, school leaders, governors, and the wider profession. Um, We've also, hopefully, been able to signpost you to those podcasts with what I think are quite innovative ideas of the QR codes. So some of the early readers of the book, and thank you to some of the staff at our school who did that, were able to dip in and out of the book and then follow up with a podcast. So if you're interested in reading about leadership, you can read the section on leadership and then follow up with two or three podcasts from there. So last little section, how to use this book. So thank you, first of all, for reading the book. But when you do read the book, it's time to hopefully bring that learning to life. So put it into practice. Due to issues affecting schools, the core business of education, as I was teaching education, has been naturally subjugated by other events. So someone who started a podcast with the express intention of professional development, I hope this book and the associated conversations are used to change your teaching or school leadership practice, formulate policy, and most importantly, increase the life chances of the next generation of children. Hopefully, we'll be able to start a book club. So all the expert guests I mentioned and many others besides have written their own books about education. Why not start a book club in your department or school to encourage you and your colleagues to delve into the books further and discuss them together to help inform your collective practice? Formulate a CPD program. As someone who has responsibility for the organisation of a PD program, I know how difficult this can be logistically, economically and organisationally. Whatever area it is that you're developing, there's a nail as natter episode for you. It may even be the implementation of the program that you've already settled on. The chapter titles will give you an overview. The nail as nuggets will give you the key points and the episode links will give you free access to the minds of experts to help hopefully inform your CPD program. And also to keep the conversation going. So although we have decided to finish the podcast and the reasons for that are in, shameless plug, the last episode of Nailers Natter with Stricko Master and High Noon, the resource is still going to be there. So there's 170 episodes with lots and lots of educators over that time and it's still going to be there. So hopefully this is a living, breathing resource of a book that you can dip in, dip out of and use throughout your year uh, and hopefully eventually throughout your teaching career so thank you to bex for inviting me on if you want to get in touch with me obviously you can find me on social media at nailers natter and i hope you enjoy the contributions of everybody else who has read the book thank you you're listening to from page to practice join the conversation on twitter using hashtag page practice podcast thanks phil let's move on straight away to today's first reader contribution from frank Hello, my name is uh, Frank Norris. Um, I'm the independent chair of the Blackpool Education Improvement Board and also the Education and Skills Advisor to the Northern Powerhouse Partnership. Uh, Prior to to this, uh, I was a CEO of the Carp Academies Trust for, what, six and a half years. And uh, prior to that, I was uh, quite a senior HMI responsible for framework development um, within Ofsted. And that involved local authority inspections, um, initial teacher education, and most importantly, early years and uh, uh, primary, secondary, special, PRU, all of that. So that was, uh, and I did that for 11 years. So um, so it's really interesting um, being given this opportunity to chat about 
uh, Naylor's Natter, um, because actually I didn't, I, I realised that uh, the author um, was based in Blackpool, but when I read the book, um, I, I, I stumbled across the names of colleagues who are referenced in the book, who I have met face to face in Blackpool. So it really brought the uh, the experience and uh, the sort of comments. Um, it, it, it brought them home very strongly for me. And and actually, when they're referring to individuals, um, there's actually a, it's, it's clarity around. Well, I can imagine somebody, you know, this colleague saying that. The, the section I want to focus in on, if I may, is uh, the leadership lessons, chapter three. And um, I think one of the things that uh, Phil Naylor points out is that, I mean, there is a, unless you've actually experienced the white heat of uh, of a problem or an issue as the sort of ultimate leader in a setting or institution, local authority, or, you know, in my case, um, meeting with ministers, you know, actually, uh, it's difficult to reference it. You know, it's difficult to sort of draw points in. And I think I thought it was really good that Phil made that point um, very early on uh, in the introductory uh, section of that chapter. And I think uh, I, 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 I certainly have found that it, reading the, uh, the the sort of recommendations, um, which uh, there were six, which were take charge, know what you want to do, don't get bogged down, uh, develop expertise, teamwork, and continue to teach. You know, I mean, I think that reading through those, uh, I found myself sort of just reflecting on you know, my approach to leadership. And uh, I think one of the things that I I felt all along was uh, this sense that there is the sort of element of leadership, but also there's the leadership and the management. And I think one of the things for me was I've always found myself uh, as, as if I've got two cards, shall we say, I've always got the stronger card, I think, in terms of leadership, because I think that's where my sort of ability to sort of, um, you know, to chat to people and to get people to see my point of view. I think that's that's where my strengths lie. But actually, you know, you need to sort of back that up with a with a strategy, with a plan, with something that actually makes sense to to people within the organization. And I think that um I think it's really interesting that this chapter does draw that out quite nicely. You know, um it talks about making sure you close the circles, you know, develop expertise and that expertise can actually be around management. And uh, it's important that leaders are aware of the sort of uh the, the strongest card they've got and potentially where the weakest card is, because it's important to ensure that you consider who is supporting you in those sort of uh, weaker areas that you know you've got. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's it's about, as this uh, chapter, the recommendation five points out, it's teamwork. You know, as it says, teamwork makes the dream work. Um, but I think that uh, it is interesting that um, Phil doesn't sort of draw attention to uh, a particular point which is around culture, which I think is something that uh, emanates very much from the leader. Uh, and although it's referenced, I think that uh, in the chapter by a couple of the contributors, I, I, I do feel as though that's the element of uh, uh, that that perhaps needs to be unpicked a little bit more, and to actually understand you know, what are the messages and and how are we signalling the culture that we want within the school, and and how are senior leaders. Uh, making that happen and that sometimes is not about just 
enforcing or creating a policy or whatever, but it is actually the way in which you go about your day-to-day work. So I think that it was really interesting that this section, um, which talks about, you know, it is very much around leadership, does have a few strands within it that draw attention to management. Now, it was interesting. I, I wanted also to just draw attention to this uh, uh, chapter five, if I can just connect them in a way, um, because chapter five talks about uh, conversations about the future of education. And that's an area of work I'm particularly interested in at the moment uh, in the work that I do for the Northern Powerhouse Partnership. And what was really interesting is so much of that uh, what's next in education focused in on leadership. You know, so here it talks about reprofessionalizing the the profession. But uh, section two talks about all teachers must teach, including the head teacher. It also highlights let's meet in the middle around middle leadership and also around the implementation matters. And it takes time. You know, I think it's really interesting how that leadership element is is such a key feature in terms of how people see the future in that it's going to take some key leaders to to get hold of the education agenda and and not necessarily that's not necessarily government it, at times it's about convincing government including ministers mps uh, education select committee chair all of these people actually need to be you know to, to be included and in, embraced within that idea about what the future of education should be looking like. So I, I think the the book itself has enabled me to uh, just reflect on some key points. And uh, I, I do think that it's a tribute to Phil and the inclusion of the QR codes is, is brilliant because it does actually allow you to just dip into key elements of uh, of the natters that have been going on. So I think well done to Phil. I'd also say, as I said to him, uh where when's where's volume two coming and uh i think it'd be really interesting to draw out some things around assessment around testing um and also around um you know the contribution that uh non-teaching staff make within the school so uh, i look forward to volume two coming in due course and uh thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, chat about my reflections uh, on what is a great book and uh, how it's made me think about my work. Thank you. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks, Frank. And next up, we're going to hear from Matt. Hi, everybody. My name's Matt Winge, and I'm currently a deputy head teacher at a large non-selective secondary school in Wolverhampton. I'm really looking forward to speaking to you today around how Naylor's Natter has helped shape not only my own leadership behaviours and ideologies, but also helped bring around transformational change within my current setting. Naylor's Natter is really set out for anybody that works in education, whether it's primary, secondary, special or alternate provision setting. And it seeks to summarise over 150 podcasts that Phil has led on over the last four years from some of the um, discourses, real big power hitters within education currently. I'm extremely interested in leadership in schools and feel quite passionately around ensuring we fulfil our moral, moral obligations to develop the leaders of tomorrow. Chapter three within the book for me was fascinating because not only did I find it really informative um, and with some significant points of advice and guidance, but I also found that it very strongly aligned with my own thoughts and ideas around the development of leadership within an education setting. There's a couple of key 
reference points that I'm going to discuss with you, really, and, and how the book helped shape my own um, thoughts, but more so how it influenced our practice as a wider leadership team to ensure that we were we were maximising our effectiveness. The first one for me was Phil rightly points out that that leadership is not a one size fits all concept. And it's something that I've believed in and I thought I'd lived for a long time. However, last September was actually the first time I asked the assistant heads that I line manage, how do you want to be line managed? It's not from an ego perspective, I'm not cocky, I don't think I'm particularly amazing, but I've always line managed in a set way. And it was only when I took the time to actually have a real rounded discussion with the people that are line managed around how do you want to be line managed that I felt that I actually started to get the best from them. The responses were sporadic, as you would imagine. There's a very um, split opinion on how people want to be line managed. Some want to be left to go away and do their own thing. Some want to be micromanaged to the nth degree. And I felt that not only did it mean I had to up my own game and, and think about my own line management skills, but also hopefully brought around um, positive change for the people that I line manage. The second thing for me that, that Phil discusses so pertinently in his book is, is around the need to develop expertise. And I know that this sounds like a really obvious thing to say within a school setting. We all run CPD calendars. No doubt most colleagues have got people within school settings completing the MPQML, MPQSL, MPQLTD and so forth. However, if we stop and pause and actually take a look at ourselves and go, are we actually developing leadership expertise within our educational setting? I think it will be a fascinating conversation for senior leadership teams to have. And it was a conversation that as a leadership team around October time last year, we had and felt that actually in a roundabout way, whilst we're very supportive of our staff development, whilst we felt that we got a very strong CPD programme, and whilst we were wholeheartedly supportive of staff completing the MPQs and completing Masters outside of school, we didn't actually feel our in-house leadership development was adequate and was going to develop the next layer of leaders that the school will need in time. So ultimately, we, we spoke to the staff about it. We asked them, you know, what, what leadership development do you feel you need to become a school leader, whether that's middle leader, senior leader, head teacher in time? And we ultimately tailored a programme around their needs. It was fascinating. Um, and I think I would highly recommend you to just speak to the staff around their thoughts on leadership, what they perceive middle and senior leadership to be, but also what experiences they have of leadership outside of a school setting and how that can help develop the skills and ultimately the leaders within a school building moving forwards. One of the key takeaways for me of the programme was actually the contributions of two ECTs within our building that are very solid teachers, lovely people but perhaps wouldn't have been identified on interview as a potential school leader yet on picking their skill set and experiences within the wider business world it was fascinating to learn that one had historically been a commercial HR director and the other had led a significant team within the finance sector and their contributions to shaping the leadership development program within our school setting significantly enhanced the experiences of the people um, during the program but also the quality of leaders that we now feel we're starting to develop as a byproduct of the program now ultimately the um, program was broken down into four elements the first element was what is school leadership and it was about unpicking the candidates' ideologies around what leadership is or what leadership isn't. 
And at this stage, I very much said to the the, the staff in school, you know, I'm, I'm here to pose questions, not deliver answers. The the sessions were very much based around discussion, sometimes debate and argument, which was fantastic because it got fiery around what our ideologies were. But it ultimately helped the people within the building become a lot more reflective around what their ideas of school leadership were. The second session was um, entitled Debunking the Pastoral versus Quality of Educational Myth and whether or not we feel that we should be developing leaders for a specific role or developing leaders in their own right. And I'm very much in the second camp. I think we should be looking to develop the leadership skill sets that then can be applied to various roles in school. The third session, um, and I think this will be the elephant in the room for every school, was around having difficult conversations and holding staff to account. Um, and interestingly, when we started to unpick the importance of a positive culture and a positive working relationship and environment, and, and the fact that a difficult conversation is only a difficult conversation if the pre-existing relationships aren't there, it was fascinating to see even some of the more inexperienced staff's confidence levels rise with holding staff to account. And the fourth and final session surrounded how we measure our effectiveness as a leader and whether or not you know, the, the, the obvious metrics that we use in school to measure the effectiveness of what we do is fit for purpose in terms of our leadership. Um, and I just felt that Phil's book really helped me kind of consolidate some of my own thoughts around the need to develop expertise and was, was a real um, prompt really to get that programme up and running and off the ground. Um, it's a fantastic read. I highly recommend it. I think it will leave you with with more questions than answers, which for me any good textbook in education should. Um, and as Phil rightly rightly points out within chapter three, context is key, and it, I think it's really really important that you know some of the the advice and guidance nuggets in Phil's book are really relatable to a variety of different contexts. And it's just about taking those nuggets and adapting them to your own context and aligning them to your own thoughts and ideologies. As we're all aware, as a profession, we're facing a real battle in terms of teacher retention recruitment. And the discussion around striking a better work-life balance for teachers and school leaders will continue for many years, I'm sure. One of the real strengths of Nailers Natters for me is how Phil has managed to... Um, surmise and present over 150 contributors thoughts and ideas around various aspects of school life so concisely and succinctly within the book at just over 100 pages long the book won't take you very long to read um, it's beautifully written and at the end of each chapter there's between three four or five nailers nuggets which are real key thought-provoking um, questions that are posed that will really leave you questioning your own thoughts and ideologies about various aspects of school life. It's also worth pointing out that within the 150 plus contributors that Phil had to the podcast, there's some really significant power hitters within the current educational discourse. Within the book, Phil references Douglas Mov, Mary Myatt, John Tossett, just to name a few. And one of the things that this gave me was a real trust in not only the text, but also the advice and guidance that I was actually reading. Um, and it just allowed me to have the utmost confidence that the way that the book challenged my own thought pattern um, wasn't coming from a, an ill-experienced or naive position. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks, Matt. And next up, we're going to hear from Lizzie. Hi, everybody. I'm Lizzie Oakes. 
I'm AVP for Teaching and Learning at a non-selective secondary school in the Northwest. I'm a Twitter skulker. Um, I often retweet and engage with other people's posts, um, but I have to say they are far, far braver than me, as Twitter is an amazing resource, but it's also <laughs> quite a daunting space. Um, my Twitter handle, for those that are interested, is at Lizzie Oaks, Oaks with an E, and Lizzie with one Z, um, namely because when I was 13... I wanted to be different and it stuck. I am a drama teacher by trade, uh, an avid reader and a bit of a pedagogy geek. I was actually fortunate enough to read Phil's book prior to release and absolutely overwhelmed um, to be placed under Mary Meyer in the praise section at the opening of the book. Um, So I'm delighted to share my thoughts with you today. Um, As you probably know the book is split into five sections pd behavior leadership pastoral and that what next in education phil provides that how to at the beginning of each chapter um and each chapter being standalone is so helpful um particularly um with such a busy profession um but he really pinpoints those um key areas and he also provides page numbers to those key points so it's really easy to navigate And it's really, really easy to pick up at any given moment. You know, when you're in that professional dialogue with colleagues and you think, oh, why did I read that? And and sometimes when when you're hunting for it in a book, it's it's quite difficult, isn't it? But there is none of that with this book. Really easy to navigate and just really user-friendly. The QR codes that link directly to his podcast with the various gurus from education and beyond um, really provide that deeper layer to the book um it poses these really poignant questions that we've used in department meetings we used some on inset last week um line management meetings going forward and between us as leaders on slt and they've really provoked um thought we use weekly questions at all levels um at my school um and i've already used this as my go-to to prepare for my responses. Um, I actually have used it for an SLT meeting next week where we've been posed a leadership question. Um, so that it's already been really helpful for me. At the end of each section, the, the nailers nuggets summarising the section um, really enables you to reflect on the learning and consolidate that thinking that you've had. Um, and all of the advice, all the strategies, all the nuggets offered are all evidence-based. And that's so important, isn't it, within the, the current world of education. Um, like others, uh, in other schools, we've coined the uh, read, watch, listen titles for our staff as part of our professional development offer. Uh, this book is great for me as a go-to, so I can give clear listening materials for all at my setting, from ECT to expert um Because as we always say, there is always something we can develop in our teaching practice, regardless of career stage. And those clear links uh, throughout the book to the wider reading gives that real opportunity for depth of evidence-informed knowledge. Um, We have a real focus on our pedagogical principles this year, um, with each half term having an explicit focus on one. And there were real tangible links throughout the book that I've already been able to draw on. Um, In our first middle leaders professional development next week, I've already quoted some nuggets and I've used it to provide some questions to staff. And I'll be definitely using it for some pre-listening in one of our future PD sessions. 
We use the EEF regularly, as I'm sure others do, and throughout there are links to lots of the guidance reports and the toolkit. Both the implementation and behaviour reports are explicitly mentioned. Um, It's really helpful for me to share with staff how these are being used in other contexts uh, and why. Um, It's good to see a different perspective, isn't it? Um, So it's been great for me as a go-to for that. Um, And finally from me, as my review says at the start of the book, um, there's a real sense of warmth from the book. I felt this real affinity to it as I was reading it. I think sometimes I can find it quite difficult to place myself in the world of the writer uh, when it comes to education books in particular. But with this, I immediately felt like this book is me. This is an issue we've faced. Um, It gives that real sense of being supportive, but also provokes thought and, and gives that sense of the collective responsibility that's required when making any changes whether that be whole school, application of pedagogy or an area of practice that you really want to hone. Um, I thought it was my internal monologue, could hear it being read in a northern accent at first and that's why I felt um, so strong, so close to it. Um, but I realised that it wasn't that, it was just, it was. it's a really clear book, really simple, offered those links for areas that you wanted greater depth with. Um. Phil ends the book on the bombshell of hanging up his podcast microphone um, and says that it'll all be worth it if only one school uses it as professional learning discussion. I can guarantee that it will be definitely used wider than one school. Um, I'd like to thank Phil for the privilege and the trust of the early reading um, and I'd like to thank you for listening to my account on this wonderful book and I hope some of the things I've been able to offer um, will be helpful to you in your school. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. And finally for today, it's Dave and Rhiannon. Hi, I'm Dave Tushingham and I'm a lead practitioner in a school in Bristol. Hello, my name is Rhiannon Rainbow and I'm school improvement lead for the Greenshaw Learning Trust. And today we've been um, reading and we'll be discussing um, some um, really interesting points that have come out of Phil Naylor's book, Naylor's Natter. And the first thing that I took away from this book was just the importance um, of connecting um, some of the evidence-led ideas uh, that are out there and, and sort of coupling that with the feel that the teacher might have and the experiences that teachers have um, in order to turn it into... Um, really positive classroom practice and and I found that um, by reading this book um, I was able to imagine myself in the classroom taking some of the ideas from some leading educationalists and um, and it, I just found that there were so many things that I then wanted to take away and um, and it was really important to to be careful not to take away too much in in one go so that I could actually um, sort of implement some of these um, new ideas successfully. Um, one one chapter in particular that interests me being the start of the academic year particularly was the behaviour chapter and um, and I thought we could maybe discuss um, just a little bit of that um, in, in this uh, podcast because um, it really made me think about um, consistency of routines and um, and there's a recommendation um, within the book, consistency is crucial, um, and, and making sure that um, the students that you teach um, really understand the expectations um, that you have, um, and you're able to to really clearly articulate um, 
what it is that, that you expect from them so that they can rise to those expectations. It is um, making me think again about language and how important it is to be really clear and concise with the words that you use to support your students. Um, and the book, um, as I say, Support Your Students, um, gives a recommendation about actively teaching behaviour um, alongside addressing misbehaviour. And I think that's another sort of really crucial point that comes out of the book, um, that when we are um, having that high expectations and keeping those consistent um, routines with our students to, to share with them, to, to narrate why it is that you've given that expectation and why it is that that rule uh, might exist. And I think that ties in with, um, it reminds me of a conversation we had with Sarah Davis as well about her book um, to do with oracy in one of our book club sessions where we were talking about how can we help to support students with their with their oracy and and how we can have it as more of a part of the culture of, of the school and how we work and it was about doing the two at the same time it was helping to support them with it and actively teaching them that as well as modeling it ourselves and it, it's sort of multi-layered and and there are lots of different things involved in in doing it and in putting it together and and I suppose whilst I'm here what what I'd like to say is absolutely I agree with you Dave there are there are so many takeaways from this book and it it, it is a fantastic thing that's been put together I mean I I suppose what I think about it is for a start we we often refer to Nayla's Natter's podcast for our session support links for the book club um because it's it's a it's been such a fantastic resource um, for, for, for so many people in education to listen to. I know a number of our colleagues uh, that, that, that have, have listened to them, but it's an incredible catalogue and it can be quite overwhelming to listen to one session and another session, have so many different ideas and go, okay, so what? So what does all this mean for me in my context, in my circumstance? And, and what he's done here is I suppose, but this is what I, what I what I've taken from it is that he's he's tried to help answer that and and to bring it in with a suggested structure and a pathway through his catalogue of sessions and all these amazing guests he's had as like a gateway to the resources and 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 he does that really really well because this behaviour chapter covers three different podcasts and then within it if the reader wants to hear more about it there's QR codes to be able to go to those sessions or or quotes and he uses the there's consistency of symbols throughout for different things and and I, I just it's a really really well considered book and absolutely taken into account who is it for? It's it's for people who are working in education that know there's a fantastic load of resources and, and thinking and ideas out there, but don't have as much time. And he's been at the center of this amazing web, hasn't he, to be able to pull all this together. So it, it, there was so, it's hugely multi-layered because there are so many takeaways to take away from this because of the different perspectives that Phil has come from with putting it together and the different ways that you can weave things as well. And, and I like the way that it's the, the three different sessions that are being brought together and discussed with them, some, some suggestions for an overview and the nuggets at the end. And that I really think there's something for everybody to take from it, regardless of their context or, or their role. Um, 
because as I said, you know, listening to that about behaviours, it started me thinking about, oh, well, this links with behaviours for helping to support oracy and those other aspects as well. And and you were like thinking of behaviours for for you in the classroom, Dave. And it's just, it's it, it's a wealth um, a, a wealth of knowledge and ideas in here, aren't there? Um, and this chapter, I think, is is a really pertinent one here that you've suggested that we talk about today, Dave, because it is it is so transferable in its thinking and in its approaches to so many other aspects of what we do. Totally. Um, and, and yeah, I'd echo everything you said there. And, and one thing that, that stats made me just think about was when I said how many takeaways there are. And, um, and I'm just sort of reading through the book again now, reminding myself of those takeaways. And and I guess the one that, that sticks for me in my mind then is um, is the the idea of really considering how many routines to introduce at a particular time. Um, because if we are going to, to have consistency in routines um, and we introduce so many things all in one go, it's going to be very hard um, for us to to, to make sure that, that we're, we're happy with the quality of that, to, to communicate that effectively. Um, and, and of course, then maybe too few and, and, and we lose the momentum of, of making the, the, the positive change in, in the behaviour that we're looking to, um, to, to action as well. So I think that would be my takeaway um, from this book. But as you said, a wonderful read and, um, and really, really supportive and helpful for thinking about what um, both my classroom teaching, but the structure um, of, of the work that we're um, doing within our academy uh, might look and, and why it's there. And, and it sort of narrates to me why, why some of those um, behaviour routines um, might be in existence. So really, really helpful book for us. And, and just thank you so much for the opportunity to, to read it. Uh, thanks for writing it, Phil. Um, and, and thanks for the opportunity to share our thoughts today as well. Yeah, and it's a thank you so much for the copy, Phil. It was it was incredible to receive through the post. So, um, and I'm I'm chuffed to bits I have out of my bookshelf. I think it's going to be a well thumbed book um, over the next few months. So, take care. Thank you for hearing our views. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag Page Practice Podcast. So that's it for today. Thanks to all the contributors for sharing your thoughts and to Phil for the great introduction. Coming up in two weeks' time is Sam Strickland's Behaviour Manual and as always, I'm after your reflections, so please get in touch. The next book is to be decided, but please tweet your suggestions and tag the author in too. As ever, your ratings and reviews on your chosen podcast platform, Spotify and Apple being particularly helpful, are most welcome as they help others to find the podcast. I also have a Buy Me A Coffee page where you can contribute to the running cost of the podcast. All these books plus podcast hosting space online doesn't come cheaply. That's buymeacoffee.com forward slash fptppod. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash fptppod. Thanks and bye for now. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag page practice podcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons.